All right, so today's reading is from uh, the lectionary for the third Sunday in Easter, and it is the walk to Emmaus. And, uh, <laughs> and it is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Like I said, this is kind of a longer reading, so just get ready, get ready for story time here. All right. Now, on that same day, we're talking about the resurrection, you guys. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept for, from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those women who were with us went to the tomb and found it. Some of the, sorry, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going to go on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day's now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened to them on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And we hear the voice of God in these words. Thanks be to God. All right, so in our story today, two of Jesus' disciples are walking to a town called Emmaus on the same day as Jesus' resurrection. I know it's been a few weeks for us, but we're still on the same day in the lectionary. The two Marys 
and Joanna have already discovered the empty tomb. They've witnessed the miracle. They've gone and told others what has happened. And so these two are walking and talking, processing it all together. Basically, everything that we reflect on year after year after year during Holy Week and on Easter, these two were living it in real time. They were trying to do what we are still doing today, which is fathom all these mysterious events. So when Jesus appears to them, they are in the middle of this. It's pretty obvious that they have yet to absorb all that's taken place. They're practically rambling. There's no filter to their speaking. They're a mixed bag of emotions. They seem sad and dejected and confused, but also a little bit hopeful and a little bit excited. But regardless, here is what I notice. I notice that they give themselves space to feel all their range of feelings. And from within this space, there's no limit to vulnerability or to honesty. And this is proven by the fact that they're willing to express all these same feelings and things to a stranger who happens to be Christ. This tells me that their processing matters. Their working through their faith questions matters, not just internally, but externally with each other in community. This is what they're doing here. So they create the space. They lean into it. And guess what? God shows up. And because they've created the space and because they've postured themselves to listen in the teaching moment that they get from it, the communion moment becomes possible. It is in this moment that God becomes not just present, but recognized and known. It is in this moment in this moment is so significant that it sticks. And all these years later, we are still observing the communion ritual in churches all over the world, spanning the spectrum of Christian tradition. So communion and our little tiny but mighty piece of Christ community has long been my favorite element in our Sunday gatherings. Anyone else? At our church, we hold space for the communion moment every single week. It is the high point of our time together. Not the sermon, communion. And oh, how I have missed it. I miss participating in this ritual that symbolizes our togetherness. It is unique to experience a sense of corporate intimacy but that's what communion is for us at peace. It's our moment symbolizing the total inclusion and the radical love of Christ. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been around for ages or if you just stepped through the door of our community. It has never mattered your age. It has never mattered your gender identity or your sexual orientation or your skin tone 
or your education level or your documentation status or your able-bodiedness, and it sure as hell has never mattered your theological rightness. All are welcome here. All belong. Say it with me. No exceptions. This moment of communion is one of beauty and collective connection. It's a blessing we have wrenched from a faith tradition overshadowed by the insatiable need to declare who is in and who is out. It is the mysterious place where we recognize our oneness in Christ. And I have such good memories when I think about our weekly ritual. One of my most recent memories is of four-year-old Gwen passing out the bread to everyone. It's not odd to see a kid sharing the elements at our church, but it never ceases to delight me. When I reflect on our communion setup, I see our deacons quietly offering the bread and cup to the band before the music begins and all join in. I see Augie and Haddon up there so often with their baseball caps because we are not a church interested in formalities. I see every single kid getting the biggest slice of bread that they see in the bowl and absolutely drenching it in the grape juice. I see people Lip, like saying hello to each other and meeting eyes and giving hugs. And I see Jana every single time saying the person's first name as she hands them communion. And I miss it. <laughs> Does anyone else miss this? Am I making you feel nostalgic yet? I miss anticipating what Matthew was going to say in his, com- his beautiful communion meditations. And personally, I can recall trying to read poems, trying to read prayers over the cries and giggles and not so subtle whispers of all our kids. And I also remember when we intentionally moved communion to the start of the service just so they could participate, the noise was just our friendly spirit reminder that true inclusion is often uncomfortable and disruptive. I have a memory of my own daughter at two years old sprinting up to the front in the middle of a service because she had spotted the bowl and the cup on a table and she was yelling in two-year-old English, want more, want more. (laughs) And I ran and got her, of course, but I remember thinking to myself, yes, little one, this communion moment is yours too. It is our shared moment. And it will leave you so satisfied you are compelled to indulge in it again and again. So, indeed, communion is a powerful moment. And why wouldn't it be? It was one of the last things Jesus did with his friends before he died. And it was also one of the very first things he did when he saw the disciples again in today's reading. In fact, it was in participating in this breaking of the bread moment, that the disciples in this story realize that Christ had been present with them all this time, walking with them, teaching them, no doubt surrounding them with Christ's love. But it is in communion that Christ becomes not just present, but recognized and intimately known. See, I think there's a difference between divine presence simply existing, being with us, and then our own engaging and knowing this presence closely. 
In this story, it takes the communion moment for these apostles of Christ to wake up to this truth. It was in the breaking of the bread, not just with Jesus, but with each other, that they saw the face of God. And it is from this place that they are compelled to do the work of Christ, to go and tell everyone they know what happened, what they experienced, and all they had been taught and told. This imagery is powerful, right? Because it's one of community. It's about communion with God and others from walking together, journeying together, processing together, breaking bread. It's all done in community in this story. So it's no wonder to me that the ancient ritual of communion might be our pole star during sacred gatherings. But gosh, what now, right? What about in this moment? People keep saying, together apart. And I wonder what the holy ritual of communion looks like now. How do we figure out communion together apart? What does faith community look like together apart? We've had no choice but to figure this out in the last six weeks. And I think we have together discovered some non-negotiables along the way. And one of those things that we've discovered right off the bat is that creativity is essential in carrying on right now. Creativity is essential in carrying on. Thriving as a community in this season is taking unconventional, out-of-the-box thinking. We are practicing surrender over and over again, letting go, creating anew constantly. We're learning to use technology to our advantage, yes, but we are also thinking of imaginative ways to engage with each other. So even though we are apart, we are still somehow together. And I wanna know what your thoughts are here. What creative ways are you using to engage community right now? We wanna hear from you. This is a great time to write those things up there in the comments because we still have a ways to go. We still have a lot to learn and creativity is essential in carrying on. We've also discovered that resilience is required. Resilience is required because we must, we absolutely must stay determined and devoted in our care for one another. We display resilience in every act of love. We display it in every act of love, in every dinner cooked for another person, every banana bread baked, groceries dropped on the doorstep, birthday Zoom or drive-by with signs. This is resiliency. It is community in defiance of pandemic. <laughs> this is a foreign way of living, but damn it if this is not the stuff of communion. Right? We need it. We need creativity. We need resilience, and I also think that we need to nurture within us a mystical hope, a mystical hope. I'm borrowing from Father Richard Rohr here, and specifically him quoting a friend and colleague of his, Cynthia Bergalt, who writes about mystical hope, and this is what she says. One, mystical hope is not tied to a good outcome, to the future. 
It lives a life of its own without reference to external circumstances and conditions. Two, mystical hope has something to do with presence. The immediate experience of being met, held in communion by something intimately at hand. And three, mystical hope bears fruit within us at the psychological level in the sensations of strength, joy, and satisfaction. Doesn't that sound good? Like we can know satisfaction? That's a bonus. I did not know that that would even be possible in the whole mystical hope situation. Thought it would be all spiritual, all otherworldly. No, right here, here and now, we are in dire need of this mystical hope. Specifically, I'm speaking as a faith community. We need to foster mystical hope on a communal level, one that informs our DNA and carries our culture into the future. Mystical hope is cultivated through our inner work and it is solidified in communion with one another. We are one and we need each other. We need each other to develop creativity and to develop resilience. We need each other to recognize God's presence in our lives and in this world right now. We need each other to nurture a mystical hope that's not based on circumstances or outcomes. We simply can't have a hope that is based on happiness or security right now. That kind of hope was always cheap anyway, right? But it won't do now. And it didn't do for Jesus and his friends either. Way back when they first practiced communion, before he died and at his resurrection. For example, I wonder how the two in today's story felt when Jesus left them again. Surely while he was with them, they felt his divine presence. They felt intimately held in communion with him. But what about once he left? Because the text says that they finally recognized him and he vanished. Like it, it didn't say, and then Jesus left. It says, and he vanished. Like he was literally like, peace. They could have deflated from this, right? But they didn't. They didn't stick around talking about what it could have meant or, or just like being sad. Mystical hope had energized them to go straight away to their friends, meaning they cancel the plans they had in Emmaus and they go back to Jerusalem. The work couldn't wait. They had been given a hope no longer tied to the worldly outcomes and where that spirit flow led, they followed. This is the kind of hope we need right now in this place of being stumped and being sad and being scared and really missing our people because it's getting out of hand, right? Like we miss our people, our sacred communities, both near and far. And just when hope seems hardest to practice is when we need it most. But just because it's more difficult doesn't make it less necessary. Just because it's more difficult doesn't make it less necessary. So I've been meditating on this song all week while writing this sermon. It's a song I love. I've listened to it so many times. 
It is called All Is Not Lost by The Brilliance. It's a great song for meditation, actually. It's healing. It's beautiful. I want you to look it up after this whole thing is done and listen to it. Just sit with it. I love the words, but there's a part I want to share with you. He sings this. Listen closely. May the seeds of peace be scattered, birthing trees whose shade gives us rest. It's in the guide. May the seeds of peace be scattered, birthing trees whose shade gives us rest. We are planting some things right now, you guys. Whether we like it or not, whether we mean to or not, things will be birthed from this place, from this moment. We are sowing for the future right now. Even as we're fiercely present, we are sowing for the future. And I just wonder what difference it might make if we fertilize that planting with some mystical hope. So to end, I just want to tell you now that we're going to start with communion. This is how we're going to start with communion as we know it, sort of, next week. Same time, same place, be here with us. We're gonna have communion moment together. We're gonna do it. Bring your crackers or your sourdough bread or your cinnamon rolls and your juice or wine or mimosas. I don't care what you bring, just bring what you have and be here to do communion with us. It's like any other ritual. It's a marker in time. It's a living, moving, breathing altar space. It's not a magic trick. It's not going to change our circumstances or banish our grief. It's a space created. It's an intention set to symbolize a deeper reality, to display mystical hope as a collective. Communion is and will always be our place to know God intimately, all while sacred community bears witness. There's power in it. And there's power with us still, even as we are apart. Amen. I love you guys. I'm going to get off here and uh, invite you to hang around and wait for Matthew to give us some liturgy. I'll talk to you guys later.